0: Welcome to Episode 174 with my guest, Andrea Schaefer. This episode is sponsored by PillPack, the online pharmacy that delivers convenient, pre-sorted meds right to your door. Uh, you can support the Mental Illness Happy Hour just by checking out their website. It's PillPack.com happy hour. And uh, it's, a, it's a great service. It's super convenient. And they care about your meds as much as you do. And the first month is free when you visit PillPack.com slash happy hour. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a doctor, but I am a hypochondriac. This is not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room. You like that? I actually cracked up at my own joke. This is not a uh, uh, doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Go check out the website, fill out a survey, see how other people filled them out, join the forum, read blogs, um, support the show. There's probably some... Oh, you can buy uh, t-shirts, coffee mugs. Uh, I think that's about it. Let's get to some some surveys. Um, This... This is uh, actually uh, an email that I got that really touched me and it's by a 17-year-old girl named Zoe and she writes, I just wanted to tell you that if it weren't for your podcast it probably would have taken me years uh, longer to question the behavior of my parents. I'm lucky that they're not abusive but since I was a little kid I remember being terrified of them finding out I wasn't completely okay. I would hide illnesses or pretend I wasn't crying rather than Uh, Let them see me as unhappy. I still have no idea where this comes from and always assumed, uh, like they tell me, that it was my fault. Uh, By the way, that's abusive. Uh, Since the start of high school, I've been having mental health issues, severe mood swings, suicide attempts, self-harm, etc., which I also hide from them. Occasionally, they find out bits and pieces, and though they are well-meaning, it always ends up being about them, and by the time it dies down, I just feel worse. I'm planning to seek professional help when I move out this year, but it has been a major help to realize that the fact I don't feel comfortable opening up to my parents is not my fault, it is theirs. I'm trying to stop feeling guilty when they get mad that I don't trust them. They have dismissed my emotions and used them against me, and I won't take the blame for that. My parents have never hidden the fact that they did not mean to have a child, and though they tell me they love me, I've never heard them say they're glad they decided to keep me. I think I have lived my whole life subconsciously or consciously trying to prove to them and everyone else that I was meant to exist. I don't know what would happen if I failed to do that. It's not like they can put me back. Thank you so much for that, uh, Zoe. That uh, really touched me. Um. This is from The Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a woman uh, who calls herself J.C., about her depression. Uh, I used to cry, but now I feel dead inside. Uh, Compulsive behaviors. I hit or pinch my arms till I bruise because other people are assholes. Uh, Low self-esteem. If you really knew me, you would know better than to say those nice things about me. Where do I feel that one? Uh, Snapshot from her life. I shed more tears about UPS delivering a package of mine to the wrong address than I did about the death of my uncle or the recent hospitalization of my grandmother. I watched my mother collapse on the ground when I told her that her brother had died and all I could think about is how I could get her into the car without causing a scene. I've been called stoic, but really, I'm just shut down. Thank you for that. Uh, This is from uh, Same Survey. Uh, filled out by sick girl um snapshot from her life feeling like the only place for me i mean she she lives with depression anxiety alcoholism and ptsd snapshot from her life feeling like the only place for me is under my down comforter with my dog totally relate to that one too it's it's like the the only time i consistently get happy or excited about anything is uh, stepping onto the ice to play hockey or stepping into my bed and seeing how excited my dogs are and thinking, well, it can't be that bad if my dogs are that excited to take a nap. Um, This is from Elia, and uh, she writes about uh, her high-functioning autism. It's like the part of the brain that most people have that allows them to connect with others is missing in my own brain. I almost feel uh, it is uh, a void in my mind and soul. About her uh, depression, uh, making me into a bitter elderly shut-in about 50 years ahead of time. Um, And also about her depression, don't ask me how I am. I understand it's a social norm, but it means you're either forcing me to lie or you're going to hear something very dark. Most of you should know me better than that anyway. Those are great. Uh, And this last one is from Anna. Anna who writes about her anxiety. It feels like your body is trying to crawl out of itself. About anorexia. It feels like being, uh, anorexia feels like being pure enough to be an angel and dead enough to be invincible. Uh, oh, she's also between 16 and 18, um, which just seems to be the, <laughs> the most productive age for people writing great struggle in a sentence uh, surveys about her borderline personality disorder makes me feel like I'm wandering and screaming alone in a desert. And then a snapshot from her life, having to explain to my mother that my my irrational reaction does not negate the pain that I feel and that she should be grateful that she can walk away from me while I never can.
1: Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. (laughs)
0: Cried like an animal. It Makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like,
1: Fuck it! I'm alive. I don't give a
0: shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings.
1: I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill.
0: I know that. Uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like. A- <laughs> I'm here with Andrea Schaefer, who is a listener, one of the first listeners actually to uh, email me if I, if I remember correctly. Oh, I know, what, the, the Dr. Zucker episode, uh, I read your email about uh, postpartum depression. Yes. You and did. Uh, I'm here in, in Canada, I'm in Toronto, and um, you, you had shared with me uh, the fact that support groups had in many ways saved your, your life yeah after postpartum depression did hit you uh where would be where would be a good place to to start with your story and your friend Cheryl is sitting here uh next to you
1: oh okay that's a good question uh <laughs> sorry I'm nervous I'm really nervous that's okay um I guess I'll just start at the beginning so um
0: your mom and dad were having drinks
1: Yeah, actually, maybe a little bit past there because it makes me just a tad uncomfortable to think about that. But um, so I'm the oldest of three girls and um, grew up in a town not far from Toronto, just northeast of here, and um, had a pretty normal upbringing from the outside, of course, on the inside. You know, my parents fought all the time. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom I hope she doesn't listen to this, but, um, you know, she was undiagnosed, depression, mental illness. Um, And I, from a young age, I always kind of felt sad on the inside. Didn't really know why. And, of course, it wasn't acceptable to talk about any of your feelings unless they were happy. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's true. Yeah, sure. You know, even everything from like bad marks to a bad day, no. It, as long as it was happy, it was to be shared. Um and so I guess what I did was um just to protect myself from disappointment, learn to put on the mask of happy all the time. But when I was by myself, I'd be very sad. Anyway, it's just I'm just an average kid from an average family you know we're not super rich not super poor just I'm just average like everybody um, and what happened was when I was in high school and I was 16 I was raped and um, I knew the two people it was two guys and it was late at night after a party um, exactly like what all the statistics say you know drinking and you don't really know what's going on and Um, I'm not, I, well, unless people want to know details, but I'm not going to go into every little detail of that, but just to make the point that that was a huge, huge turning point in my life, but I didn't know it at the time.
0: Did you know it was rape at the time?
1: Um, no, uh, no and yes. So I knew when it was happening, I didn't want it to happen. Um, I knew it was sexual assault. Um,
0: what did they say?
1: Oh God, about what? Like,
0: you know, I always want—I always want to know the perpetrators to better understand what their attitude and what their because I think many people that commit sexual assault, I, I, I think their reality is warped. Mm-hmm. I think it's, some know exactly what they're doing, and I think some it's warped, and 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 I want to try to better understand through. What it is that they say? Oh God! How they? It, it, but I don't want to traumatize you by. Oh no! By I've been asking, through it. <laughs> okay,
1: like a hundred times. Um, um, I should have just brought my
0: documents. Um, and I think that's also what fucks the victims up. Often yeah. is because the person perpetrating it is acting as if nothing is is wrong. That's right. And so that's the cue that we absorb, and we think, how could something? violent have taken place they were smiling
1: yeah basically sorry not to laugh but right. absolutely so do you want me to talk a little bit yes. about like that as much aftermath? as you're
0: comfortable i don't I okay
1: don't. yeah no i'm i'm okay so i guess that's where we're gonna start sure <laughs> anyways okay so um, i like to
0: kick a, a party off with rape talk always right at the top
1: <laughs> well might as well get it out in the open like yeah. seriously right yeah. <laughs> that's the whole point get the elephant out of the room um so Okay, so I just went through, okay, the party, blah, blah, blah. And um, so when it was happening, um, basically, like I was pinned down by one, and then the other was doing different things. They were talking to each other, but not to me, unless it was, you know, shut up, don't move, um, because I struggled, like I tried to get up, but we were all kids, Like I was sixteen. The other one of them was sixteen. One of them was a year younger. So I think that plays into a little bit of, of kind of like the mentality. I think. um, Anyway, so they were they talked to each other. I
0: got to. I hate to to (laughs) kill the momentum of this, but I got to say, at sixteen, I knew that that was that that was. Um, I'm pretty sure they knew. Shut up! Don't move! I mean that's yeah so clearly
1: well and I, you know by what that, i mean
0: even i think by fucking nine you or <laughs> ten
1: i don't know i'm not a boy like.
0: <laughs> well that's uh, ages is, is is no excuse and I, you know yeah. i don't want to be mr rogers here The you know the doling out what's right and wrong but i just i i hate to <laughs> to think that anybody else is going well they were only 16 they don't
1: no, I'm probably the only one. I have a lot of empathy for um, my alleged offenders, let's be clear, because there was never any charges laid. Um, that's another whole story, but... Um,
0: well, then you don't have to call it alleged. They were your offenders.
1: Well, I guess they yeah, are. I guess technically now they are. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. so So, yeah, they were talking to each other, right? So, I'm... I can't speak to like premeditation. I can't speak to anything like that. I mean, I can only imagine and think that this happened to other girls. Um, like now looking back with an adult mind, like these are the things I, I think. And so yeah, they, they spoke to each other. Um, but I was, they spoke about me as if I was a thing, not a person. with feelings and emotions but i was there i was a thing and you know back and forth it was like one of them was like oh you're hogging her and the other one you know would say no wait your turn and all this like it didn't really have anything to do with me it had to do with them and what they were trying to get so when it was like that part was over i was and by the way, it happened in the schoolyard where I went to elementary school, which was a big deal for me, because um, my dad and I w- helped build some of the play structures that were there. And it was behind one of the play structures that actually my dad and I had worked on. So I didn't actually realize that until I started digging more into this. But anyway, so that's like a hard memory for me. But then after I got up, right? And Is I just... because
0: it's a sweet memory with your dad? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't have a lot of those from my childhood. And um, yeah, so that's just one of a handful that is now tainted in my, in my memory. Um, So I got up, and I felt like, honestly, I felt like a piece of garbage, because I was just filthy and dirty and you know my pants were around my ankles and they were screaming at me like to get up get up get up and I'm like in my head thinking like what the fuck just happened so I got myself all together started walking out the schoolyard gates and I was just walking as fast as I can I didn't want to bring attention to myself I didn't want them I want to get away from them as fast as I could but not make it obvious and then they yelled at me to stop I didn't I kept going but they caught up to me and went around in front of me and stopped me and the one of them like held me very tight like I couldn't move I was crying completely upset a mess Um, and said you know you're not going to tell anyone about this. And I I was really honestly I was speechless. I didn't know what to say or do. I was just scared. And I of course I have two younger sisters. And so he looked me straight in the eye and said, "If you breathe a word of this, I'm going to do this or more to both of your sisters." I was like, "Okay, that's like not cool for me because you know, I was the oldest. I was the protector of my sisters and um, that image kind of stuck with me I actually threw up I actually vomited the other guy that was there just reinforced that said you know we'll find out we know because you know I had gone to school with them since grade I don't know four um,
0: were they always abusive were they always bullies no
1: well I maybe to other people but not to me, mm-hmm. because I think I was just that evening, I was an easy target. I think if it wasn't me, it would have been someone else.
0: So it, sh- it shocked you about, about these guys? Absolutely.
1: That they- I mean, one of them was my best friend's sister's boyfriend. Another one, we'd been in the same class tons of times. Never any friction. Nothing. Like, from what I remembered of this guy, he was just a sweet little kid. But then he didn't turn out to be a sweet boy. Their strength They were both scrawny But their strength Took me by surprise Um, I guess because they were You know They were males And I I consider myself strong I was into sports But No match for these guys And you know I think they kind of Were in a group That was I don't I don't know If you would say bullyish, But They were like Cocky Like you know The football crowd And the lacrosse crowd And they thought They Entitled yeah, absolute entitlement, yeah. right? Like we, this
0: is it. We're like we run the show. So, and why wouldn't you want to have sex, quote unquote? Because in their mind, yeah, really, that it's sex. To them, it's it's probably well, not violence.
1: And to me, since I had never had sex before, I didn't know what the fuck it was. <laughs> I just knew it didn't feel good, and I felt like ridiculously disgusting, and um, it was really almost like an outer out-of-body experience right like I was at one point I remember looking back and there was lights on because this was in the middle of the night back in the schoolyard thinking I knew some people who lived in those houses I'm like please come outside please please come outside and just like praying like come and save me come and save me but of course no one did and you know I just I remember just looking down on myself saying like you are in a mess like this is not good not 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 good so when they threatened to do like to my sisters, I was like, uh, again, I wasn't really absorbing anything, but I was now I was really afraid. So they let me go. I just walked. The whole point of that was we lived in the same neighborhood, right? Went to the same school. Like, you know, this is back in the ni- early 90s, right? So, you know, everybody has your phone number and your address and everyone's parents know everybody and all the, everybody everybody knows everybody, and um, <clears throat> and I was just an average kid, I wasn't popular, you know, I wasn't like into anything weird, I was just average. So, um, I started walking towards my house, which was probably like three or four kilometers away. Of course, they were going the same direction, um, so I just kept walking speeding up it was hurt. like i was hurt like it hurt to walk but i just kept focused and um, the next thing i remember is that this blue car like uh what do you call those ones like a new yorker from like mm. the early 90s or whatever you know like the little ones you learn how to drive in um came up beside me it was this blue car and it was a lady and the two guys were in the back seat and this lady's like, do you need a ride? Are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Obviously, I wasn't. She's like, no, you don't look like you're okay. Get in. What, two, I,
0: what two guys were in the back The
1: ones seat. that raped me. They were sitting in the back.
0: And this lady was driving?
1: And this lady, yep, had picked them up behind me.
0: Oh, and she was seeing if she could pick you up yeah, as well. Yeah, she wanted to give
1: me a ride home because oh, I'm so going the same way, Oh, of course they to get in the car. Well, yeah, they just stared at me and glared. And I was like, no, I'm good, Thanks. And she just kept, I just kept walking and she just kept driving really slow beside me just to that point where it's like, get the fuck away from me. Like what? This is weird. Anyways, so I didn't, I kind of recognized her. I didn't know who she was. So finally I'm like, well, fuck, what else is going to happen to me? Like, so I got in the car, which is against every every grain of my body to do something like that.
0: Why Why did you get in the car?
1: You know what? I think I was just beaten. Like I was just out I was out of strength. I was just out of to, fight to,
0: to please her or because you wanted a ride?
1: Uh, you know what? Probably just to please her and yeah. just get her off my back. I didn't care about getting a drive home or walking or uh, yeah, I
0: could have cared less about that. You know, as I listened to you share that, I think that must have been like you jump out of a fire, and your the the urge in you to people please is so strong, to make somebody feel better. You get back in the you get back in the fire. Yeah, the, isn't that the, fucked the, up? The thought of disappointing somebody yep. is so much. The things you will put yourself mm-hmm. through. Oh,
1: it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's Which true. Which just kind
0: of <laughs> breaks my heart on a on a certain <laughs> level. But I, as a people pleaser, I know yeah. how it's when you don't recognize your own needs and what you're feeling.
1: No, because I can only feel happy, right? So, okay, back on the bandwagon. We're going to be quiet now because, you know, this is hell and I don't want my sisters to ever have to do or go go through something like this. So I got in the car, you know, and I think, I'm not 100%, but I think the lady was a taxi driver in town and maybe coming home from her shift or something.
0: And, uh, and just really loved giving people rides. ride. I don't she know. Couldn't.
1: You know what? I, In retrospect, I think maybe she just saw like this kid, like my pants were like grass stained and ripped. And I, my hair, I used to have really long black curly hair was all just tangled. Um, you know, my shirt was ripped and it was all askew and I was stumbling, you know, so I don't know. I don't know what her thought process was, um, but really she did. She did actually help me because I didn't really grasp that like something was going on with me. So I sat in the car, got in the car, sat right, didn't put my seatbelt on, got right up to the door like this, right? So I could, if I had to make a quick escape, I thought, well, I'll just open it and roll out. And, um, but what happened? I saw my face in the rearview mirror. Like, honestly, Paul, I did not recognize myself. I internally, I felt like one Like I felt like a piece of garbage, like worthless, just, uh, just a pile of rubble. But then when I saw my face, I didn't recognize myself anymore. I'm like, Oh my God, I look worse than I feel. You know, I had scrapes on my face. My mascara was all over the place. Um, I had a blood stain on my, on my hand. Um, just dirt, dirt everywhere on my face. um, It was like, it was really, I couldn't stop looking at it. I couldn't stop looking at my, at myself, but that wasn't me. It was the weirdest feeling. And this woman, she kept talking to me and kept asking, you know, are you okay? Like, did somebody hurt you? Well, of course they're sitting right behind me, you know, and they're just like giggling and laughing thinking this is fucking hilarious. And me, I'm just like trying to either get home or roll out of this car. Right. Um, so she, I asked her to drop me a couple blocks from my house, which she did. And then I started jogging, running home um, for fear that they would actually have gotten out like right after, but they didn't. She kept driving them down to the next block where their neighborhood was. And, you know, I went home and, um, you know, everyone was asleep and I checked on my sisters because they only would have been um, 13 and 11 at the time. You know, my parents were asleep. I'm sure I had made up some lie to get out of the house that night because they were irrationally overprotective. Like I was babysitting or something. Uh, I knew I couldn't tell my mom and dad because they weren't there for me emotionally and really deep down. Um, I thought I would have been blamed for all of it.
0: Oh my God.
1: And that it would have been my fault. And I knew it wasn't my fault, but I felt like it was my fault. Um, I just, I had a shower. I remember looking at the clock. It's a 2.11 or something. Went to bed and I worked at McDonald's. And the next morning I woke up. My dad drove me to work and like at whatever it was, 6 a.m. And it's as if it never happened. I just, whew, okay. Now, <clears throat> when I went to school, you know, whenever it was, because this was in like late June, right so back at school um, somebody said something it wasn't me I, I don't know I don't know what happened how rumors got started I really I don't know and I'll never know but I started getting harassing phone calls from you know the one one of their girlfriends and then another girlfriend and then their friends and then their friends and they would I'd be on the phone we had the you know that dial yeah, the phone and the, dial. the, the yeah. big cord yeah. and I'd sit on my on the steps that go upstairs to my parents house with the big you know receiver just like this and they'd call me like a fat pig a slut you know why am I trying to steal people's boyfriends Um, I'm no good you know just why don't you just die bitch all this kind of stuff and you know what I just sat there and listened and took it I didn't know what to do I tried to say a couple of times like you don't you don't know like you don't know what you're talking about. Like that what you think it's not what it's not what it is. But it was so aggressive. I just sat there and listened to it until they hung up on me. That must have happened like at least ten, so they, fifteen times.
0: They probably bragged and made it sound as if you were willing.
1: Yeah, and I don't I don't know for sure, but if I was to conclude something, yeah. That's
0: the only thing I can think of is that they in their mind they probably thought we you know we've gotta put our version of this out should she ever step forward,,
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah, and you know I had friends who were asking me about it, and I just I would say nothing, or I'd say it's not what you think, and just kind of brush it off. I
0: can't imagine how.
1: Well, and then imagine going to school, right? So here I am, not maybe the best academic. I used to be, before this happened, I was really involved with like um, sports and like student council. You know, I was really outgoing and I loved participating in everything. After, like I didn't even notice this until like upon reflection, right? I had turtled into myself. I kind of dropped out of my, the things that I loved. I tried to make myself as invisible as possible. I only stuck to the friends that I had. You know, I didn't trust anyone. Um, But walking down the hall every day or getting on the bus to go to school every day and having those guys look right through me and their friends or having getting that look like you better watch it, bitch, all the time. And me not feeling like I could say anything or do anything about it. It was terrifying
0: so and that you didn't have parents you felt safe to go to no was, no 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 you know was not gonna happen
1: and i ended up um like just shoving it all down like just to survive just repression 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 and i started drinking more like a lot you know started doing drugs which you know was not great but at the but time works <laughs> on
0: a certain level it <laughs> yeah, does you which, know
1: like seriously kids don't do drugs but at the time right i I I loved getting drunk and I loved that and I just kind of carried on with my life and I went to college and
0: did you did you go one way or the other in your sexuality after that did you shut oh. down or become promiscuous
1: Oh here's the good thing I became really promiscuous Yeah and um and I didn't understand it at the time other than that's just how I was because now don't remember don't forget like I don't even really remember what happened I just know that I hated these guys and I I don't know why um, but yeah I became quite promiscuous but in the thought that you know I'm in control so no one's gonna hurt me right I'm gonna call the shots and you know I'm not gonna get attached to anybody because even though I felt like I wanted to have a relationship and I wanted to have a boyfriend. I knew that it would just end up in heartbreak. And, like, really, what was the point of that? Right? So. um
0: And I think part of the promiscuity, oof. too, is to convince yourself that this is what I like, because then what happened to me isn't as, as painful.
1: Right. But you know what? Like, I hated sex. That's the thing. Right? I was, like, I was in control, but it's not like I was enjoying myself. Right? right? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, it's just the psyche is so odd um but yeah yeah quite promiscuous can i just ask
0: cheryl to to chime in at at this point um sitting here watching you listen to your friend talk about this painful stuff what what do you you know support networks are so important when people have been through something difficult like this and i just want to know like what what do you think and feel as you as you hear Andrea share this kind of stuff as her friend? Well, it's, what comes up in you?
1: First, you're infuriated that something like this could happen to your friend. Um, I was a lucky one; who didn't have anything like this happen in my life, so it's hard to listen to. But as a you know, as a friend and a support, the, the judgment is kept aside, and I just listen and empathize and acknowledge what happened as best I can. Just acknowledge that, yes. What you're feeling is real, and it's so wrong. And yeah, love you still. Like, I love you
0: too. Okay, thanks.
1: Which I didn't know Cheryl at the time, yeah. so I only have a couple people in my life um, who like knew me. What I call before, right, and after. So she's an after, and so the person she met and saw, and we became friends and we kept in touch with right was how i describe it. it's not the real me right that that's my mask right and i would get comments like oh you're always so positive and upbeat and ready to party and yeah sure until like i lock myself in my bedroom and i cry for 3 weeks and don't want to talk to anyone because i don't understand what's going on with my life and i can't handle it but
0: when did that happen
1: oh my god every day <laughs> <laughs> um it probably started it probably it started in high school well, even before, when I was little, I would go and put myself in the closet and just kind of rock back and forth for comfort. Um, and then after I was raped, I actually started sleeping in my sister's closet with my flashlight and checking on them all the time,
0: which is kind of weird. Did they ask you why you were doing You know that?
1: what? No, it's just how it was. It's just fun. It was fun for them, right? Because I'd have the flashlight and I'd, we'd play and joke. And, and,
0: and you <laughs> love having older siblings <laughs> around, you know? I guess.
1: You- I never had one. Could have came in handy actually, but, um, and I didn't have a, that role model, right? I didn't have someone to reach down to me and say, like, oh, my God, kid, like, come, like, I, you can trust me. I can help you. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I had ever, I ever had that.
0: What, what do you, what would you have said if you could have found the words to say to an older sibling or a parent that could, could have handled it? What, what? Hmm what would
1: the I never thought about that what would you, you know what stated? I don't even think I can answer that because um I don't know if I could have even if I did have it I don't know I don't know I have to say I don't know I mean I could give you an answer of what I would have ideally liked to have said
0: what would <laughs> what would that have been Prob-
1: well probably just what happened Right. I, you know, just, you know, this happened and, um, and I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. And, and if they would have been able to just, just still love me, be nonjudgmental and just kind of take me through, you know, I don't know, just love me and be with me. That's really all I needed
0: how how would ideally that love have been expressed to you through somebody holding you comforting you letting you cry on their shoulder
1: you are a hard one okay so these are all (laughs) questions i haven't thought of but i thought of every other one um you know it's holding my big thing is i love to be held tight like there is no such thing as not tight enough so for me even now like to feel secure i i'm a hugger and i love to be hugged but with my husband, even I say, you know, tighter, tighter. He's like, Oh, I don't wanna squish you. I don't wanna break you. I'm like, You're not gonna break me, but don't let go. <laughs> don't let go until I say. But yeah, no, just the holding, the holding, just somebody holding me um and just being on my side, really. So I didn't feel so alone because I was, I had always felt alone as a kid, right? Because I was, you know, three years older. So my sisters were closer in age. So I just always kind of felt like the odd one out. And so here I was again, the odd one out. And I didn't want to be the odd one out anymore. I didn't want that. I just wanted to fit in and be normal like every other kid, you know, save my money, buy cool jeans, you know, get my Doc Martens and, you know, waste money on booze (laughs) and whatever else. But um, I didn't want to be the odd one out anymore. So I guess just looking for that feeling of belonging and like it's okay and you're safe here because I really didn't feel safe again until until after I was married.
0: The thing that's so fucked up about victims of sex crimes is they have to carry the crime scene around with them every day. Yeah. You have to see it every day.
1: For the rest of your life. And it shows up everywhere.
0: Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I have post-traumatic stress and uh so from that um and so it shows up in my dreams because it was a known place to me and because they were known known to me there's not a lot of mystery right so um I can in detail like see every little thing I can see even as I'm speaking right I visualize it all because it's just It's up there and plus I've been doing a lot of work on it lately but I had years of like nightmares of um, just different outcomes and then it morphed into uh, nightmares about me but it wasn't really me and I was hiding something like in a chest or a closet or whatever but if I let it out that would be the end of me like I would lose all everything I had and I never knew what they were about until one day I I had the dream and that's what it was. It was about, about the rape. I mean, I, like, I'm in Costco and I smell a certain cologne, right? And I just start going like twingy because that's one of the colognes they had. Like a certain song on the radio will, you know, send me into the bottom of tears. And I can't explain it, but I know because it would have been a song that I had heard. And it's not something I think about all the time. These things, like even the smell in the air. Like the smell in the air.
0: They say that the sense of smell is closely, the most oh closely related to emotion, and I, and it I absolutely is, believe. I that. have
1: to like, and really, I don't have like a good smeller, like. Mm. <laughs> but for certain things, like I can tell, like I can tell in the air at when the spring is starting to turn to summer. There's just those That's few when it nights, happened. Yeah. And I don't know the exact date. I just kind of know the time frame. But I feel it, and I smell it in the air, and it goes through my whole body, and I'm just like, ugh.
0: Where do you you go then after that feeling comes through you? Do you shut down? Do you go talk to somebody?
1: Um, I used to shut down. Like, I used to, like, first, I didn't understand. it. Like, in my early adult life, I just didn't even understand it. I just thought I was weird, right? Or everybody has times like this. Because I, like, seriously, I didn't believe in repression (laughs) until right i found that i had repressed something but i'm like that right i used to be so cynical with everything oh whatever you know they weren't hurting their childhood they're just making it up for the money well no actually now that i've been through that no there are a lot of dark things that people do for different reasons for me it was for survival and uh so yeah, I used to just kind of ignore it or drink it away or. Um,
0: what was your beer of choice, Molson? Were well, you? Well, actually,
1: you? I really liked rye.
0: <laughs> uh, I, rye whiskey.
1: Yeah, I can't yeah. drink it anymore, yeah. but um, because yeah, I got sick on it, and then. Um, but yeah, back then I guess I really drank a lot of Canadian. Was the beer? Now I wouldn't even touch it with a ten-foot pole. I'm a Stella girl. Like I only have a few a year, but. Um, Yeah, so back then it would've been Canadian and rye and pot, et cetera. And I just basically partied. Like I worked and I partied and I worked and I partied and I worked and I partied and I moved. I couldn't live in my hometown anymore because I felt paranoid. So I moved all around. I ended up in Ottawa. And when I was in Ottawa, I'd been there for not very long, a couple of years, and I walked into a beer store and wouldn't you know, behind the counter is one of the guys who had um, had att- had, rape- had raped me. And so we just looked at each other, like eye contact, and his face just went like, I don't know what his mind said, but if looking at that face, I would guess it would be like, holy fuck, because mine was like, what the fuck? And I just walked out. I don't know if you know how our beer stores work, but you walk in one door around the counters here, and then you walk out the other. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then I walked around. Out to the outdoor, and um, I got in my car, and I started driving. I was nauseous. I think I puked in between. And you know what? I'm driving back to my apartment without beer. And
0: in that's my when mind, you knew something was wrong. I
1: know. Like seriously, okay. I'm like, fuck. I have to make another stop now. Jesus, what is with this guy? <laughs> but no, really. In my mind, I'm saying, you know what, Andrea? Like you have a real hate on for this guy like why you know everyone else I know thinks he's oh he's such a good guy he's this he's that he's you know he had an alcohol problem and he turned his life around oh good for him but me I really couldn't stand the sight of him and I'm not I didn't think I was an angry person although we know now that there's a lot of anger in there um, and then it just came to me like the thought came to me well he raped you and the, the other guy's face popped up in my head I'm like no come on now. And then the more I started thinking about it, I would remember tiny things. I couldn't remember everything, but tiny little things. And, you know, I let out like a centimeter of what was in there. And I cried for three days straight in my apartment. It was the first time I'd ever called in sick to work on the Monday ever, like in, you know, six years of working at the same company. I'd never called in sick. That was the one time. I call in sick I couldn't even get myself Out of bed on the Monday But the Tuesday I got up Put on my eye cream Got it all puffed down Back to the job And forgot about it Just keep going Keep going Until one day You just fall over So that's Yeah That's what happened
0: And so What What, were the, what was the next What was the falling over
1: Okay So um, Fast forward Right So I meet my husband Who I love dearly And uh, He's probably One of the only people I Really trusted And um, So I told him Like The outline Right of what had happened to me Because I was afraid He would reject me um, And you were
0: boyfriend Girlfriend at this point Or husband wife
1: No, No 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 Boyfriend girlfriend
0: And how long had you been together At this point Not very long And how old were you then
1: Old Like (laughs) Um How old was I? Twenty nine. So yeah,
0: it was thirteen years then. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it'd be in a long
1: time, and I never dealt with it. Right, like I never really. And
0: and the that's really fast
1: math, by the way.
0: And the beer, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. Yeah. Uh, And the beer store incident. How old were you when that happened?
1: I would have been. I moved to Ottawa, twenty six. Okay. Twenty six. So
0: centimeter by centimeter, it was coming out in those three years.
1: Yeah and um anyways he was i I don't want to say fine with it but um he was really supportive right and you know he said it didn't change how he felt about me and um you know that people have things and he was glad that i had shared it with him but i was afraid because no one in my family had known and i like made him swear up at five thousand times not to ever breathe a word of it to anyone in my family and um and that was, like, my test. Okay, can I trust you? Are you going to say anything? Like, let's see what happens here. Obviously, he didn't, and I trusted him, and we got That's married. It's so
0: heartbreaking that you took on the shame of that. That's oh, I still so have heartbreaking. it.
1: heartbreaking. Yeah, I still have it. I've done a lot of work to let it go, but I still... I feel ashamed for so many things, but I still feel shame for, um, for not telling anyone. Like, I feel really bad about that. Like, looking back, I wish I could have, although... I know that The situation I was in I couldn't Right So I mean I can't go back and change it But I still feel shame for that Um
0: And I think most people don't I don't know Most people don't Most people don't know Most people don't know what happened Most people don't know How to find the words to say it And most people don't know Who to go say it to
1: Yeah I guess yeah That would be Probably accurate Um yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I It's affected me in my life. It's affected every decision I've made knowingly, not knowingly, like unknowingly, um, you know, at 15, if you were to ask me, you know, what's your, what do you think your future looks like? It would be nothing like what it was or what it is. Like, I never thought I'd get married. I thought I would be... Uh, you know a famous musician or somebody who um, you know went through I loved like playing music and reading music and I'd you know I'd travel the world and be a composer and you know do all kinds of stuff like that Um, not ever once did I think I'd get married and have kids and just keep on being the average average (laughs) Um, yeah so that's that
0: so how is your how is your life different? Um is does does that mean to say that you're disappointed in that the life you're living now is different than what you dreamed when you were fifteen?
1: Well isn't everybody's <laughs> <laughs> like really
0: in many ways. <laughs>
1: like really? Yeah. I um, think
0: very few people wind up living a the life they dreamed of as a as a kid. Yeah. Um Yeah. What'd
1: you say? You say you say you're cheated a lot. Yeah I do I feel like I'm cheated Like my home I feel like my home My roots My roots were ripped out From underneath me Because I I uh, Still have really good friends In my hometown I still have family In my hometown I feel like I can never Go back to my hometown I feel like that was Ripped out of me Like that's a core part Of the person I was Because of the event
0: Yeah
1: Yeah, Because it's just Because it was everywhere It's everywhere Right it's everywhere there And um, To me it's toxic But I love it still And I wish I could have raised my kids there and I wish I could have shown them, you know, the schools I went to and the things I participated in, but that's a part of my life. They'll never know. And I, and I don't want to show them that now, but it kills me because that is, it's important to me to know where you come from. And like even, um, you know, my dad's family is all from there and I would love it if I could visit with them more and and have them know the kids better and you know I have a ton of cousins who are amazing and they have their families you know just about the same age as I am and all of that like I'm missing out on and if I was there I would be taking advantage of it like I you know when I see my cousins once every whatever whenever there's a wedding or a funeral um, you know it's just that instant connection again and I feel ripped off that I don't have it that I crave it I need it I want it but I can't I can't get it I can't move back there and start rebuilding roots in like a toxic waste dump is kind of how I feel every time I go which is not often um, I can't wait to get there when I'm there I can't wait to get the fuck out and then I cry all the way back home like it's weird it's anyway but yeah I feel really cheated um I feel cheated about having like a normal teenage experience where you might have a chance to fall in love and I don't know experiment or do whatever you want like I all of that was taken away from me and I wasn't I didn't I didn't have like a normal like I didn't have you know boyfriends and I didn't have um I wasn't able to build relationships and craft that kind of thing you know I couldn't let myself I had built up cement walls around myself and there's no tearing them down and that's just not really normal you know I yeah I feel really ripped off
0: um I think that people that have never experienced sexual trauma can't... It's impossible for them them to understand how far the ripples go. with yeah. The things that it takes away from you. Um,
1: well, and it's still... Like, it's still a ripple effect. And it always will be in my life. Like, now I'm more aware of it. I'm more aware of... Um, I'm more aware of I don't know like my emotions I guess I'm more aware of how it affected me because like for the honestly for the longest time until after I had my first child I just thought it was no big deal like I really thought it was no big deal um i just thought you know a lot of people
0: throw up coming from the beer (laughs) store empty-handed
1: well yeah because you know you think my god they didn't serve me no Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) i'm already wasted no i'm just kidding um yeah seriously what a disappointment i am to myself god can't even pick up a six-pack um
0: i think i think so many people think that sexual trauma (sighs) is about the physical trauma of the event and that's so not that's like the smallest smallest part yeah. Of it. And, and actually, for many people, there might have even been pleasure mixed in with. Oh yeah, I can see that. With some of the pain or, or whatever, but the physical part is like the least no. part that haunts you. It's the, it's the, the tattooing on your soul, and maybe that's too permanent of a word because nope. I, I do believe we can heal, but it, it's, it's the confusion that you know that's the thing that has fucked with me the most is not knowing left from right up from down not do you struggle with that not not knowing where the truth is and yeah in, in things and and not trusting your your own integrity
1: yeah that's a good word like i i say like i i'm always trying to find like now on the path of mom I'm trying to find the authentic me. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I know what I think I would like it to be, but I really don't know what that is. And what you say about the physical wounds? Yeah. They your body is a miracle. It will it will heal in a snap. But um your mind, your emotions. Like emotions are real, right by the way? Like I didn't really think I just thought they were just something, but if you don't express them, right? They just get pushed down, and eventually they will build out and start coming out in different ways. This is something I didn't know. I just thought, oh, well, whatever, shove it under the rug. But it doesn't go away when it's under there. It just kind of stacks up. But I say, like, the emotional wounds, they were healed a long – or the physical wounds were healed a long time ago. But my emotional wounds – I have emotional scars, and I still have gaping wounds that I'm just trying to, like, stitch up or just stop the bleeding from. And every time I feel – You know I'm just kind of making a bit of progress whatever it is that happens in my life I will just go down a landslide and then I have to start again and it it's not just me right but it's affected over into my family so I finally was able to tell my sisters and my mom uh, what had happened right so it affects them it affects their relationship with me
0: what What Did that happen after the um, postpartum depression came about? Oh, yes.
1: So here's the thing. So, yeah, I had my first baby. And um, when she was born, apparently, they tell me that was the trauma that sent my stress into high gear, which um, started giving me all the nightmares and the dreams of my rape. So here I have a time. Another thing I'm ripped off, supposed to be like a most wonderful time of your life. I'm laying on the operating room table because I had to have a c-section and my child is across the room and I'm laying there in a haze thinking what the fuck am I doing like what have I done and I just have no emotion connected to her at all I just thought oh okay yeah you're cute I guess and yeah in the hospital I would put my (sniffs) hand on her in the bassinet like constantly and this is terrible to say but it's my thought um And I would say in my mind, okay, she's only been alive three hours. So if she stops breathing right now, I haven't really built a big relationship with her. So I'll be all right. You know, a few hours later. Okay, she's still breathing. But really, it's only been like five hours. So, you know, if she stops breathing or she dies, like, that's okay. I can deal with it. I did that for like six weeks.
0: Like just anticipating the worst to go wrong and thinking, okay, it's not going to be that bad that tragic but and just not that you wanted her to die but oh my god that, no
1: no but that you <laughs> let's be clear are
0: used to so much disappointment in your life yeah here here's this thing that has the most chips on the line and clearly this is going to go bad oh, how's yeah. it going to go bad and when's it going to go Well, bad? and i
1: don't know how to be a mom like either i'm going to fuck up and something's going to happen or the worst case scenario is going to happen because it always does right it's just a given. Um. And you know,
0: and it's a she too, right?
1: Oh, oh that's the other Which thing, right? I would
0: imagine. Would...
1: So that's it, my overprotective. Like, I mean, as a day old, right? Like, I'm already thinking, like, oh my God, like, what the fuck if something happens with her? Like, how am I going to handle that? You know, how is she going to know she can come and talk to me? But after a while, like, after months and months and months, right? I. That's when I I started getting help with the support group, because I thought like Jesus. I excuse my language. Um, <laughs> I can't. Of all the
0: things people have ex- apologized for on the I know, show, that you know, one.
1: Sorry, pe- yeah. I I don't know. I, I know, don't, know there are
0: there yeah. are some uh, people that are. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not really overly religious. Yeah. I believe in. That's another conversation. Um. Hmm. So I know. I know. Uh, I Oh yeah. Is I had to get my own shit sorted out so when and if and hopefully never but if there's anything even though was little in her life that she needed me for that I could be there for her without my own garbage like hanging over the situation and um, that's when I started to go see like a counselor and but the postpartum depression was absolutely brutal like it was undiagnosed for almost five months And I was resenting my child because here was this thing, like everybody thinks she's so cute and she's so fun and gaga goo goo. And I look at her like, well, here's another fucking sleepless night. And like, when am I gonna get to go out again? At the beginning, and I say this all the time, people would say, oh, you know what? After six weeks, you're just gonna feel great. You'll be back to your old self. So on the calendar, the day comes for six weeks and I feel like shit then I get told, oh, but you know what? You had a C-section. So two more weeks. By eight weeks, you will feel fantastic. You'll be back to your old self. You know what? You'll be loving that baby and blah, blah, blah. So the day of eight weeks, I was trying to organize my um, t-shirt drawer because I was keeping my mind off the fact that today was the eight weeks and I didn't feel any different. And I realized like, this is my fucking new normal. This is my new normal. Like, making sure every need of this little child is met it has my life has nothing to do with me anymore it's all about her and i that was just some big revelation of course everyone around me is like duh <laughs> like that's what happened like eight weeks ago but i really expected to have my exact old life back like that's not realistic because now you have a baby right I even thought, like, this is how crazy I went. Not crazy. Well, crazy. Um, that I thought there was some big thing on the news about a woman in the States who was put, wanted to put her kids up for, or put her kids up for adoption through postpartum. Well, I saw that story. I'm like, Oh my God. That's the answer to my prayers. You know, I told this to my husband. I'm like, we could put Anna up for, her name's Anna, Mm -hmm. put her up for adoption. And we'll make it an open adoption So then we can see her whenever And she can see us, right? And we'll get updates with pictures And be all great But then I won't have to deal with her I won't have to deal with you I won't have to deal with her I do not even have to deal with myself And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah He's like, oh no (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of bad And then there were some other bad things But the public health nurse Who I was resenting Because she wouldn't leave me fucking alone because i was always bawling or swearing or whatever. um and she, rightly so. And she oh, cuz she was here. doing her job, yeah. Um i mean she come over and i couldn't even remember my daughter's name. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is I couldn't remember her name. I'm like, this is uh, it's my daughter." <laughs> like, wow. yeah. My i was just so so mm. backwards and um so she called me or just popped in on me or for weeks like she was just anyway so then she mentioned about the um the postpartum depression nurse and the support group and I'm like yeah it's great and she said you might you know that might be something you'd enjoy I'm like I don't think so anyway so I agreed to let them come over and do an assessment and I was not nice to them at all like really I just want I'm like I could be fucking sleeping and you're here asking me questions and I got to fill out a form I can't even see like, yeah. Anyway, so they do, I forget what the test is called, right? But if you, it's like you're just kind of like a test strip to see where you are on the scale of depression, right? And I forget what the numbers were. But say if you got um, out of 20, you got five. You were probably mildly depressed. If, you know, and then it goes up. I think I got 19. Like, wow, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. And, um, but I still was like, whatever so they made it clear that the support group was on certain days it was not a drop-in Like you had to come if you didn't come they would come and find you um they had snacks and treats and but it was so your I, choice
0: to go yes right?
1: you did not you didn't have to go but
0: once in you had to they were
1: trying to sell me yeah you had to go at least three times so if you went and you didn't think it was a fit you had to go three times and then decide um with them, like, if you were going to leave, which is fine, right? So I thought, what the hell? I'll go for the cookies. Like, you know. So I went the first day and sat there and looked at all these pathetic... This is just how my brain was thinking. Pathetic people and their babies. And I'm like, they're, like, laughing and talking. I'm like, fuck. Like, they all have more than one kid. <laughs> like, how do they do this? Like, they must be
0: really messed up. And do they bring their kids with them or not? Yeah, they
1: actually provided childcare, okay. And, oh isn't that funny? Somebody said something that I related to. I'm like, Oh, my God, that's just like me. And then someone else because they always went around and did a check in. And I was like, I didn't talk the first time. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but I kind of have a thing I talk a lot. So the first time I didn't talk at all. The second time, I was I just cried the whole time because I couldn't believe I was actually kind of in the right place. And
0: is there a better feeling in the world?
1: you know what it's not there's not it's like it's my people (laughs) like it's like
0: it's home oh yeah it's a home you never knew existed
1: like there's it's an unbelievable like overwhelming feeling when when people understand you and you don't have to um explain yourself and you don't have to feel a certain way for thoughts because they're just thoughts and if you fuck up you can talk about it and not feel like shameful or feel extremely um, guilty. Like you can just talk it out. And um, the third week I went still enjoying my snacks and I basically monopolized the entire <laughs> meeting. <laughs> and then, yeah, so like a year later <laughs> it was time to go back to work and it literally it saved my life. I don't know where I would have ended up if I didn't have that support and I didn't have that. I guess the routine, and the other mothers and the other women there who had been through something similar as me, and then also new ones who were coming in who I got to help, and that made me feel really good.
0: Talk about that.
1: Okay, it made me feel really good. <laughs> um, even now, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of joy out of helping people with their issues. Not really helping them, but just. Being, uh, just listening and just having some sympathy, some empathy about what they're going through and making it clear I'm not judging them. I have no judgment at all. Uh, life is, yeah, it's not fair. And it can be a fucking shit show and it's not great. And But you know what? You're still breathing. I'm still breathing. We're alive. We're surviving. So we can kind of get through to the next thing. And I just take incredible, like I take it makes me feel empowered and strong that, you know, that what I am have been through is just not for nothing, right? Is that that, okay, now I have been expressing my feelings and my emotions and different things that I've been through, which I was petrified to do. Mm-hmm. And when I see someone else who's maybe kind of at the beginning of that, I just honestly I just want to grab them and just like hold them into a big ball of sunshine and I don't know it just I don't know it just fills me up
0: it's at the heart of why I started this podcast is I wanted people to know that your pain can be turned into gold yeah if you absolutely. reach out to other people it's alchemy it's shit gets turned into the most valuable thing that you can connect to somebody in the most desperate need possible to be able to say I was there mm-hmm. I got through it here's what happened to me this might help you to try this and then to see the light come on in that person's eyes yeah
1: it's the light like you know my eyes were so dim for so long and they still are helping others it doesn't take all my pain away right but it gives you um or even just talking with others or having them talk to you I shouldn't say help because I'm not a counselor or a therapist or I'm just an average girl um, who now is unemployed and old. But anyways, um <laughs> I went off on the That's a, little a whole t- other podcast. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just uh, <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Um yeah. It doesn't make my pain go away, but it helps me when I have my darkest days, um, which they still come, instead of having them completely black, now I can see a little ray of light that, oh, there might be something for me out there that maybe I'm not done dealing with my pain and my anger and rage and and I have to learn how to manage a completely new way of lifestyle that I'm not used to and I still feel ripped off. But I know there's a lot of people who have experienced way worse things than I have or they haven't been given opportunities that I have. And if, I don't know, if one person even just feels a little bit better because they shared a secret or something that they didn't want to tell anybody and they know I'm not going to tell anyone and they feel a little bit better, like that makes my heart glow. And that's what kind of keeps me going. And that's why I'm here. You know, my husband didn't understand. I was really anxious and nervous, Mm -hmm. like brutal. (laughs) And uh, he's like, yeah, but you don't have to do it. I'm like, but you, you know what? Like I do, because even though I feel like this now and even all the way to now even still, Um, because I need to keep talking about my daily struggles, what happened to me that I survived. Other people can survive. There's lots of different avenues we can take, but it takes away a little bit of my pain to share it. And if there's just one little soul somewhere who can relate to one little tiny thing in there, like that is well worth it.
0: This would uh, be a good time to pause and just give a little bit of love to our sponsors. We have a new sponsor for uh, today's episode care.com. It's the largest online destination for care. Uh and they have 10.7 million members. Uh care.com it's a uh, it's a subscription service that offers the ability to search and connect with local caregivers um, in child care, senior care, uh, pet care, tutoring, housekeeping, and uh, and more. In the, in the summers, they uh, you can find summer camps uh, for your kids. Uh, premium membership allows members to contact caregivers and access uh, background checks. And they also offer the ability to pay your caregiver through their site and receive nanny tax support through their home pay platform. Um, it's really kind of your all-in-one all in site uh, for any type of care that you need to to try to find. Um, they also have to have i mentioned dog walkers i don't know about you but it's hard sometimes we don't have kids but um it's hard sometimes finding somebody that is a a dog walker that you can trust or especially somebody who's going to stay at your your house and it's actually one of the reasons why my wife and i haven't taken a vacation in nine years it's like we uh i don't know anybody offhand that i that i want to stay at our house and all right maybe we're shut-ins Maybe maybe I need to put that one on myself. Anyway, uh, Care.com makes the whole process easier. You sign up, you can search or browse tons of local caregivers, and you can check out detailed references and reviews. Uh, So whatever you're looking for, go to care.com slash mental illness happy hour. I know the other ones, uh, advertisers, it's slash happy hour, but this one is slash mental illness happy hour. And for a limited time, As a uh, listener, you can save 25% when you become a premium member, letting you message caregivers directly and access background check options. Again, care.com slash mental illness happy hour. And of course, we want to give some love to uh, PillPack, who has been very, very uh, loyal and advertising with us for the last uh, quarter or so. And we really, really appreciate their uh, their support. PillPack is an online pharmacy that delivers convenient pre-sorted meds right to your door. Um, they take all the guesswork out of do, do, uh, taking your meds. They ship you pre prepackaged, uh, time-stamped, um, a roll of your meds. So you can just pull them off and uh, take them as you need them. There's no question as to whether or not you took your meds for the day. You'll know. Um, they ship prescriptions to 33 states, non-prescriptions to all 50. Uh, the best part is you don't have to wait in a pharmacy line anymore. That's one of the worst things about having to take meds or just going to the pharmacy in general. Um, that Yeah, you don't have to deal with any of that. They have great customer service. Uh, they know that your meds and when you take your meds are super important to them. So whenever you want to switch over from your shit pharmacy that you currently use to uh, PillPack, uh, just sign up. All you need is uh, give them some basic information. They contact uh, your old pharmacy, switch it all over so that you don't miss a beat and there's no gap in, uh, in getting your, your pills. So um, go check it out, pillpack.com slash happy hour. And the first month is free when you visit. Again, pillpack.com slash happy hour. And even just visiting their website helps the podcast because they know that you guys listen and you're loyal and... uh I'd appreciate it if you went and checked it out.
1: With mental illness and stigma, right, one of the big things is nobody talks about it. So of course that makes it taboo. Mm-hmm. So as a society, once we can start actually talking about it um, normally, without any hush-hush or like, oh my god, um, I think that's gonna take a lot of the, the shame and embarrassment and guilt out of it. Because I still feel those things sometimes. Sometimes it's really hard. Um, I wish I didn't. But I'm a lot more confident now than I was even three years ago. Because basically, my whole life was taken away. Like I um, couldn't work anymore. I got put off work from my doctor. I thought I'd just be like a few months like, Oh, yeah, rest. No, I went into like the biggest, deepest box of I don't know what I didn't want to survive at all. And the only thing that kept me going is i couldn't leave my kids because i had a second daughter and and now we're all good and i love my babies and mm-hmm. you know all rectified lots of therapy and you know they are none the wiser but um you know i would just be like in a depth of i don't know what and you know i'd get like a mama and like a smile and i'm like oh my god i can't take my life because i can't leave them and i can't take them with me (laughs) like that's never going to be an option so i need to like pull my boots up and just get a little stronger each day so i can live with them and enjoy them and those little rays of lights because they love me unconditionally it doesn't matter if i haven't had a shower in you know 10 days (laughs) although they will tell me i stink but
0: and it's fair to say it started with you letting that nurse help you
1: yeah it did, like it really did, and, and that was
0: provided free by your government, oh, right? Oh, by
1: the way, yeah, oh, so yeah, you're American. I'll try, yes, to, it, I'll it was. try to hold my
0: uh, jealousy. So the,
1: anybody who's resisting getting the public health nurse in, don't resist it. Just go with it, and yeah, it was all. We're really lucky here, right? Because that support group, everything that was all paid for, even the snacks, and um, and in
0: the long run, it is saving your country money.
1: I think it is, and I still am able to get free therapy. Um, from a program called Ontario that's our province Ontario early years if you have a child who's the age of six and under you're entitled to all kinds of free um, programs and services and therapies support groups um, like fun things too Um, people don't take advantage of them which I think is too bad because they're there to kind of build stronger families but luckily for me I got into a therapist who's through that program and she's absolutely amazing And she's going to retire in two years. And my youngest will be six. So it's going to work out perfect because I'll be all fixed by then.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) no,
1: no, I'm not. No, no, I know. No, I know. I know. I can't get fixed. But with my kids, like how they how I explain this to them, because they've seen everything, which is a blessing and a curse. Because I, you know, they're already going to be tainted by all the things they've seen. They've seen me at my absolute worst. And um, so the way I because I talk to them after everything and uh, so my brain is broken my brain's sick and I take medicine I take medication every day and I go see my special doctors and my therapist and um, yeah so it, it's never hidden in our house um, but yeah you know my brain it gets stays glued together with my medicine and my help and sometimes it starts to crack up a bit and that's when I need to go and see my doctors again and check my medicine. And, you know, one day maybe it'll stay glued for a long time. But right now it's just little baby steps. And they they kind of accept that. Um, and they also, I think because I'm open with them, like not to the point where I'm scaring them, but on their level, right, they trust me. So the flip side of that is they tell me everything. Like, I mean, everything. Like even stuff, you it's don't so even beautiful. care. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it is. Even the bad stuff, you know, if they get in trouble or whatever. Oh, mom, you're not going to like this. But they tell me, right? I said, it doesn't matter if you think I'm going to be mad or disappointed. It does not matter at all because what you have to know and you need to know is that I love you. I don't care about that stuff. I love you. And I love the fact that you can be honest with me and talk to me. And I will never, ever, ever make you feel bad about it. And they do so far they're not teenagers yet but
0: <laughs> that's so beautiful oh, thanks. that's really that's really awesome
1: yeah so there you go
0: do you feel like doing some uh some fears and some love okay, to take yeah. it out
1: yeah let's do it
0: all right i'm going to be reading the fears from someone in the forum uh who i think it's a she uh calls herself rsra and uh she says i'm afraid that i will not want to have kids until it's too late
1: Even though I'm trying to help and prepare my kids the best I can, I'm afraid that my daughters will one day be victims of sexual abuse or inherit inherit my mental illness.
0: I'm afraid that as my friends start to have kids, our relationship will change and my husband and I will be left behind because we don't want kids.
1: So I'm afraid to lose weight even though I am obese and I feel like I live in a fat suit right now. I'm comfortable. And... I feel invisible, but when I'm thinner, I attract a lot of unwanted attention, and it makes me very uncomfortable.
0: I, that's very common from from what I understand, that's and crazy. I've heard many people uh, share that through emails or on the, on the forum or surveys. Um, I'm afraid that my husband will leave me because I'm so fucked up I'm beyond repair.
1: Oh, honey, nobody's beyond repair. No, mm. no, no, no. Although, isn't it funny? My next one is, I'm afraid my marriage won't make
0: it. And one day, I will find
1: myself uh, in a crazy haze after abusing cookies and pastries, wondering where I went wrong.
0: I'm afraid I'm actually beyond repair.
1: Oh, no. Wow. I feel so sad for her. Um, Oh, this one was for you, and you did it too. Uh, Paul, I'm afraid that you will use a word or term I don't recognize, which will negatively impact my confidence because I didn't bring my dictionary. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
0: do, I, do I use big words sometimes no, on the show? Like a few oh, okay. that I had to look
1: up that aren't maybe uh, common language. But yeah, when you said alchemy, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's pharmacist. What is that? That's mixing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry.
0: Uh, al- alchemy is when you change w- one material into another. It was a thing that they the, there were alchemists in the, in the Middle Ages that supposedly could turn. Um, Non-precious metals into precious metals. That See? was that was every, what everybody was trying to do. Was turn to you just know
1: that. yeah and you something just know that. into gold. But maybe normal average people aren't really sure. <laughs> but when they're at home listening to the podcast in the comfort <laughs> of their own home, they look it up on their dictionary and they're like, "Oh yeah."
0: Um, I like to show off my college education wherever <laughs> possible. It, being a theater major, it has really no use other than occasionally throwing out a five-dollar word. Well, it's a good one. Um, I'm more of a two-fifty girl. I'm afraid that I'm going to go through a counselor education program that my friends are supportive because it's something that I want to do until I walk out of the room. Then they talk to each other about what I could possibly be thinking going through with becoming a counselor because I'd never be good at it. That's a great one.
1: That is really good. But you know what? Go with your gut. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. They don't know what you're thinking. No. Or no one knows. But Yeah. yeah, that's a really good fear. Um, okay, my next one is, I'm afraid I'll never be able to go into full recovery, and I'll keep relapsing worse each time and end up locked up in a psychiatric board, be deemed certifiable, and never get released.
0: Yours are so awesome and detailed and personal. You're <laughs> knocking them out of the park. Uh, I'm a... And park mean Park is a... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that is I'll that never...
1: park, like P-A-R-K or P-A-R-C, as we would say it, au Québécoises?
0: Uh, you now you're speaking Canadian gibberish to me. Um, I, In fact, you know, I was just thinking uh, as I was walking around downtown Toronto that in many ways, it seems like you're actually in America. But if you fall down and break a bone, people here care and will yeah, take care absolutely. of you. A significant difference. Um, I'm afraid that I'll never have a real genuine relationship with my father.
1: Aww. I'm afraid that by being open about my mental illness, I'm fucking up my kids more than I know, and they will resent me forever.
0: I'm afraid that everything I think I know about my sister not caring about me is actually true.
1: I'm afraid I will die young and miss the best part of my life and the most important moments in my kids' li- my kid's life, for which, of course, they will resent me forever and wish I had never existed in the first place.
0: I'm afraid that my anxiety will get in the way of me achieving my dreams.
1: Yeah, I can see that for sure. That's unfortunate, but I know that feeling. I'm afraid that telling my truth will all be for nothing and it would have been better to play ignorant, continue to abuse alcohol and drugs and party like it's 1999 forever.
0: (laughs) I'm afraid that one day my academic advisor will just sit me down and say, I know you're doing great in this program, but we need to kick you out because you're too fucked up to be here. Okay. I think we've done her fears before. Um, God, I wish I, yeah. Yeah. I think we've done hers before, but it doesn't matter. We can do them Well,
1: place. my last one is, um, well, actually, I have two, but my last one was I'm Afraid of Everything, especially Everything Unknown, which actually is everything. <laughs> so philosophy majors, figure that one out.
0: That just blew my mind. <laughs> that that was so meta. Uh, I, I have
1: one more, but I was watching a documentary on the fall of Detroit, so it doesn't really have anything to do with this. <laughs> oh, that's
0: okay. I'll do one more of hers, and then you do your last one. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I'm Afraid that My Achievements... Uh, are all fake and that the curtain will be raised and everyone will realize that I'm actually totally inept.
1: Oh my God, that is such a common feeling. I have one that I'm not reading. That's about me being a fraud, like because yeah. I'm afraid of everything, right? So I've got like 500 pages written out, but this is just ridiculousness from the week. I'm afraid that what's happening in Detroit is a warning sign to all of us in North America that we can't sustain the way we are going and living. And if fundamental change is not taken, we will lose everything and end up homeless and hungry until the day we all die.
0: That is sweetly poetic and apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to loves. I'm going to be reading loves of uh, RSRA. And she writes, I love a long night of legendary sleep after after several nights of bad sleep.
1: Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Especially when you get the drool all over your pillow.
0: That was such a guttural mom response by <laughs> my both of you guys like <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Tell it to me I got <laughs> like <laughs> I don't think you were pushing that from your diaphragm. I think you were pushing that from your uh, <laughs> your your tubes. I think Something that's like where that right. Something like that, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Which mine are tied. Okay. Um, love. I love the way my 88-year-old grandma subtly shakes her head and swoops her hand as if to move the hair out of her face, especially since she has short hair, and I know that it's just a habit from when she was younger.
0: Oh, that's cute. I love a hot mug of tea and a good book during a snowstorm. Oh, I love that. I bet you guys like that too, being oh, uh, Canadian.
1: not the snowstorm so much. but, no, but the... I love the
0: feeling of being inside when it's crazy, like raining yeah, hard you know or what? it's super What's freezing. this
1: person's name, RMA?
0: R-S-R-A.
1: Listen, R-S-R-A. I don't think that's me, um, but listen to this one. We have the kind of a lot in common. I love the unexplainable feel and smell of cool, crisp air in the autumn, and I love the sound and smell of burning wood in wood stove fireplaces and campfires, especially in the winter
0: mm-hmm I love She's it when Canadian I love it when I come home from a hard day and my dog has the wiggles from being so happy to see me
1: Oh, you not cute. Okay. I absolutely mm-hmm. love the joy it brings to me to play word board and card games with my friends and family
0: do you play uh, words with friends no oh, I have so in the one. past but I play much I love that you don't play the one game that completely <laughs> exemplifies what your love is Sorry. I'm unplugging the laptop now. (laughs) Um, I love the feeling of accomplishment that comes from finishing something really difficult.
1: I love creating something out of nothing but raw material.
0: I love driving with the windows down on a warm day and blasting Lady Gaga.
1: Oh, I love Lady Gaga. (laughs) I am such a Gaga fan. Way to go. Okay. Like, I'm 39, a mom... Like not cool at all And I'm such a Lady Gaga fan My kids even get to listen to her And that's another whole story Okay I can't believe it Lady Gaga (laughs) She's not even in my loves But I love her Okay I love when I can recognize My own personal freedom And realize I'm not chained To societal expectations
0: I love the excitement On my dog's face When I pick up a snowball And he just knows I'm going to throw it So he can go try to catch it
1: Okay this one's from The drive down Um, I love that I can laugh at myself When I'm writing out my fears
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love how I smell after a nice hot shower.
1: I love that my friends love the fact I can still laugh and joke with them now that they know everything I've been dealing with and been through.
0: What a great example for them to see the resilience of. Yeah, the human she mentioned spirit. that
1: on the way down, so I yeah. took some notes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's
0: one of the. It it it's really huge. helps other people. It it's really huge. helps other people when
1: you're open. Sometimes people, I don't think it's anyone's fault, but sometimes people will walk away ones you might not expect and others you become closer with you don't expect and um, you know the core friends that I have um, they're there and they are just like they're my family
0: yeah Uh, I love making a new friend that I can speak completely candidly with right from the get-go
1: I love that too ditto like that's awesome Um,
0: I gotta say that's one of the things about doing this show because I have that love as well Didn't really kick in until I was probably about 40 and started to feel my feelings and talk about them. But it is one of the greatest pleasures in life is having really kind of deep conversations with people that... You haven't known for that long. Well, it's
1: true, right? It's like not always having the superficial.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And we talk about this all the time, right? Because, you know, there's certain people. No. Like, honestly, the weather. It's exhausting. Superficiality
0: is fucking exhausting. It's
1: unbelievable.
0: Necessary sometimes, but.
1: (laughs) Not everybody. It's a coping strategy. Oh, my God.
0: Like, nothing will make my legs more tired than being at, like, a cocktail party of rich people. Not that all rich people are that way, but there tends to be, like, the more glamorous the event, the more people put their walls up because they're afraid they're not enough, and it just, oh, it's like being at the fabric store with my mom, you know? It's just like, I have got to go take a nap.
1: I don't have a clue what it's like to be around rich people, so. (laughs) 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 I'm just being an asshole, okay. We're in the love, so let's be lovey. Yeah. I, think I did it's your turn.
0: Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I love the look on a student's face uh, when what I'm trying to teach them clicks. Oh, that's got to be a great feeling.
1: Okay. So I don't really have any more, but I do want to say this. I wrote out. Thank you, Paul, for creating this podcast an online community, which I know has been a great tool for me and a source of support. Uh, I'm also sure that for hundreds and hundreds of others, it is as well. I know that you, Paul, can be bashful about accepting the cheers and compliments and how great you are. But on behalf of all the mental illness, happy hour listeners, especially in Canada, and -hmm. participators of this community, I just want to thank you and keep doing what you're doing because we all need you and we all love you very much. And your response would be, oh, thanks. (laughs) I'm just kidding. He's taking it in, people. Aw. That's my big hug from everybody.
0: That felt really good.
1: I'm glad. Even though I was sarcastic at the end. <laughs>
0: <That> <laughs> Which real really bad. is a
1: form of anger and fear, but yeah. No, yeah. That's that I it was not really a love, but it is something I really felt was important.
0: Gonna be honest, I needed I needed to hear that today.
1: Aw. See? Aw, that's awesome. See? connection
0: <laughs> andrea thank you so much and cheryl thanks for sitting in
1: well thanks that's awesome
0: many many thanks to to andrea i was really glad i was able to uh connect with her when i was when i was in toronto um and that was recorded a couple of uh, months ago i believe in uh, november um and she's doing well um she's healing she said that she feels like she's on the other side of um of the assault now and uh that's that's good to hear and um uh, before I get to some surveys, and I got to say, if, uh, if you're not up for, uh, there's some dark surveys. I, I actually took a couple out that were, I felt like were, were too dark, but um, anyway, I don't know if these are any different, um, but uh, I wanted to let you know there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you see, feel so inclined. Um, go to the website, mentalpod.com to make a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. It's super easy to set up and uh, you don't have to change anything uh, until you uh, decide if you want to cancel it or your uh, credit card expires. Um, and it's really kind of the financial foundation that keeps this this show going and allows me to um, have this be my my job. And I uh, really, really, really appreciate uh, all of you. Guys that uh, that support the show. You can also support us um, by shopping through our Amazon uh, search portal. It's on the right hand side of the homepage, about halfway down. Um, you can also support us non financially by going to iTunes and writing a good, um, giving us a good rating and writing something nice about us. That helps boost our ranking, and sometimes that brings new people to the show. And uh, spreading the word through social media. All that stuff helps. So I greatly appreciate it if you guys uh, do that. And visit the website of our sponsors. Let's get to some surveys. This one is from the Shame and Secrets survey. This was filled out by a girl who calls her, woman who calls herself Silly Girl. She's in her twenties, um, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, I'm just going to read some excerpts here. Um, she was emotionally abused, and she writes, "My dad used me to have an affair." with my best friend's mom. I had no idea till my mom found out. I was a daddy's girl and felt very used, betrayed, and worthless when I found out. Now when anyone makes me feel used, it brings me back to that moment. That's when I started cutting myself. He always told me when I was getting too fat, or when I was getting fat too. I was never fat. I'm 5'2 and have never weighed more than 115 other than when I was pregnant. Darkest thoughts. I have suicidal thoughts. I don't think I'll ever do it, but I often hold a knife up to my throat and just want to get it over with. Sometimes even slow down on bridges and just want to get out and jump. Uh, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my husband, that I love him, but getting married so young was a mistake. That I want a divorce, but I'm too scared to be alone, so I contemplate suicide just to get out of the relationship. What, if anything, do you wish for? I've taken care of finances and everyone I know for the past 11 years. I would love for someone to take care of me for once. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better. I was actually in the bathroom holding a knife to myself while my kids were banging on the door. I've been listening to your podcast and decided to distract myself with a survey. So thanks. It helped. Well, that. Um, needless to say, I was very moved when, when I read that. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment uh, by Anthony, uh, who actually sent it to me in an email, and uh, his iPhone auto-corrected the phrase sex abuse victim to sexy abuse victim. It is so fucking awfulsome. Uh This is the shame and secret survey uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Shoshana. Uh, she's gay. She's in her 30s. Um, Ivy. Haven't heard from Ivy yet. Normally it's Herbert piping up. They're both in here. Um let's see, she is gay, she's in her thirties, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Um She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um And she was physically and emotionally abused by uh, her girlfriend. She writes, uh, my first girlfriend uh, was a totally fucked up alcoholic and drug user. She beat the shit out of me for two years. She manipulated me, stole money from me. I allowed her to devastate me emotionally more times than I would like to admit. I woke up one time to her punching me in the head. She was so drunk and angry that I left her at the bar. She beat me for some amount of time. And I remember that the police came to the hotel. It must have been loud and someone called the cops. We instantly fell silent as we watched the lights outside our window. She covered my mouth and stared into my eyes and told me that if I said a fucking word, she would kill me. The cops left and the next thing I remember was waking up in the morning, walking to the bathroom and washing my hands. I looked up into the mirror and did not even recognize myself. Black eyes, bloody nose, swollen face. The most fucked up part is that she woke up, instantly felt sorry for all that she did and I let her fuck me. Any positive experiences with the abuser definitely that's how they get you to stay. She made me feel alive, sexy. she led me to believe I was her world. um Thank you for that because I think one of the biggest mind fucks of um abusive relationships is that they're they're bittersweet and it's it yes, and I thought that perfectly encapsulated that um this is an email I got from a listener uh, who, uh, whose name is Greg, and he writes, This is my six-month-in-therapy update. What a difference time and getting help makes. I can't tell you how much this has changed my life. A therapist sees things that we don't. Mine has helped me with my grief so much, and we discuss my life plans moving forward. I am like a new person now. I accept life as it is now, and I can even say that I'm happy. If you knew me last year, you would know that it is an amazing progress. So keep telling your listeners, beat it into their heads to get into therapy if they have a problem, and uh, and if they have a problem and are not happy. Uh, I didn't want to go, and now I look forward to our weekly meetings. I am forever grateful, Greg. And I would caution that for some people, it doesn't get you. To happiness, but there is a certain amount of peace and acceptance that is so far above the kind of sad sadness and hopelessness that can characterize so many of our, our inner lives. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by um, Ellie Sam and... She had an abusive uh, boyfriend, an abusive male best friend, and abusive parents. And uh, I didn't want to read all the uh, abuse stuff. It, suffice it to say, it was, it was horrific. Um, but I wanted to read um, the positive experiences with the abusers. Because like I said in the previous one, I think it's so important for people to see um, that bittersweetness. sweetness Um, and how confusing it can be. She writes, My abusive boyfriend was so nice at times. He'd buy me food or talk sweet with my parents. The best friend who abused me knew my parents well. They would always talk, and this best friend would always buy me things or come over when I was sad, etc. My parents, of course, still did nice things for me and say they're proud of me and miss me and things like that. And with all of this, I constantly feel guilty to the degree where I swore I have my own guilt disorder. I sometimes felt as though I overreacted or some of these things don't count as abuse because these people are nice to me sometimes. And it's so fucking confusing and not fair. Well, uh, I'm sending you the biggest hug because I share your experience so fucking deeply. Um, I know how you feel, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, This is an awful moment filled out by a transgender male uh, who calls himself C. Martin, uh, J. Martin C., uh, and he writes, I've come out to my family twice, first as bisexual and second as transgender. Both times we were in restaurants because I felt like they were comfortable, neutral places. When I came out as bi, my dad's first reaction was to shake my hand. It was clearly as a spur of the moment, I don't know how the hell to react to this move, and I still laugh remembering it. Maybe a year after coming out as trans, my mom told me she didn't like that I had chosen restaurants because they were always so shocked that they lost their appetites. Oh, that just deserved a moment of fucking awfulsome silence. I should have saved that one for later in the show because I feel like there... I don't know if there are awful some moments that can follow that one. This is from a new survey I put up called the um, Workplace Bullying Survey. And this was filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Shy Gianna. And uh, she writes my work... And she's in her 20s. Uh, My workplace was the silent type of mean. I was hired right out of college into a brand new career and really thrown into the work on day one. I needed training and extra help but was met with indifference. My supervisor was vocally disappointed with my performance but always pushed me to take on extra work. I was drowning and that's when it hit me that my coworkers were quietly avoiding me. The indifference was painful. Uh, I felt trapped at my desk. My anxiety was really triggered by the subtly hostile work environment. It's, bun- uh, how did you try to change change this situation, um, if not, why, if so, what did you do, or what are you planning on doing? It's been one week since my last day at that job. Quitting felt like the right thing to do, and the only thing I could do to retain my sanity. Any advice for someone in a similar experience? Ask for help. This is the hardest thing to do. It felt impossible for me. Workplace hierarchy makes asking for help particularly difficult sometimes, but everyone deserves to be heard. Amen. It's an awful moment filled out by Ziggy. Um, She writes, I've recently relapsed into my disordered eating habits. This evening, after another day of compulsively counting everything I ate and feeling overwhelming shame, I went to watch a video on YouTube. An ad immediately appeared, and a man pointing straight at me from the screen said, Face it, you've been obese for way too long. The irony of it made me crack up. Thank you for that. Um, this is the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Sisyphus II. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Um, not sure If she was physically or emotionally abused and she writes, I didn't know it was happening at the time. I still don't know if it's classified as abuse. Just a lot of bad fights where I'd be told I should leave, that the family was better off without me, that I was this evil monster and it wouldn't matter if I was dead. This happened all the time, like almost daily for months and months on end when it was at its worst and a couple of times uh, a week at best. Uh, everything that went wrong was my fault. I was this terrible person. I started to believe it. It really broke me. It made me think I should just kill myself. Made me wish I was never born because I wanted to spare people of having to know me. Uh, Sisyphus, no doubt about it. That is fucking emotional abuse. That if you had told a child protective services worker that um, they would have been at the house as soon as they could have gotten there. Darkest thoughts. I'm suicidal, but I don't want to be dead. I just want to not hurt anymore. I want to start cutting again. I want my thighs to look as though I fought a battle, was attacked. I want to bleed a lot. I feel like it's a control thing. Like everyone hurts me, and this is a way for me to hurt myself. When I'm angry, I'm too afraid to take it out on others. It's so much easier to just hack open my skin and call it a day. I want to go to bed and not wake up. I want to hook up with one of my close guy friends just to feel loved and wanted. I've never been kissed and it's embarrassing and I wish I could uh, use one of them just for practice. What if anything do you wish for? I wish I was happy. I wish I was normal. I wish my friends all found love, let go, accepted themselves. I wish my friends could see how much they mattered. I wish I was smarter than I am. I wish I had gone to a better college. I wish I had applied to Ivy uh, to Ivy League schools because I could have gotten in. I wish I had died in the car accident I had last year. I wish my friend would leave his girlfriend and be with me. I wish I wasn't depressed. Well, we're sending you some love. This is an awfulsome moment fig- filled out by Big Al. Who uh, writes, a few years ago, my family was in crisis. My father had just returned home from the hospital after having had a debilitating stroke. My mother was in the middle of a bipolar depression swing. My brother was kicking my parents out of the house. Uh, They had just bought together a few months ago because of my mother's behaviors. After working all night and a full morning trying to hold all of this rolling shit show together, I came home barely holding myself together. When I walked in, I saw a plate of cookies and a birthday card on the table. I'd completely forgotten about my own birthday. I totally broke down, sitting on the kitchen floor crying and eating the cookies my wife had lovingly made me. That is so... Beautifully awful. Some there should be a word, you know, how we have master sobbing for jacking off and crying at the same time. We need to come up with one for um, uh, shoving sweets down your throat while uh, while you're crying. Send me send me your let, let's let's have a, uh, a contest for that. Send them to uh, mentalpod uh, at gmail.com or um, tweet them to me at, uh, at mentalpod. Let's, let's see if we can find a word for, for that, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I I think I've overeaten cake uh, with tears rolling down my face at some point in my life. Maybe even jerked off at the same time. Maybe let's have that be a third one. Um, master slobbing? Would that be uh, eating, whacking it, and crying? I don't know. Herbert? <laughs> Just stop scratching the... Lauren looked at me like, yes. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Makoto. He is straight in his 20s, um, raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused, but he, and never been physically or emotionally abused. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm a recovering porn addict. I've only just recently started watching straight porn. Uh, Guy girl, And even then, it's mostly just blowjobs, and I can barely enjoy it unless the guy stays quiet or there's background music. I mostly watch girl-girl porn, and I am extremely envious of women, how they look, how they feel, and how they do things. I'm married, and my wife and I have yet uh, to get to actual penetration. She and I are both virgins. I find it hard to be mentally engaged in sex, as I am constantly aware of how disgusting I look to myself. Also, sex looks better than it actually is, at least to me. With two women, it looks more tender, more aware, more sensual. There's not grunting uh, when two women are involved. And also, in watching sex, I wouldn't have to deal with the fluids or odors. I'm envious of how porn stars just seem to be able to not only eat pussy, but look good while doing it. Uh, Maybe it's the bibs that they wear. Uh, I tried to lick my wife's and uh, caught off was caught off guard with a horrific odor that made me lose my erection. She was not aware of this, and I did not alert her to the fact that I was disgusted, and an even worse uh, and an even worse taste. Oftentimes, I find myself wondering what it would be like to be a woman and have that kind of sensuality. Of course, I'd never consider a sex change or anything like that. I like having a penis, but I'm too aware of how I look having sex to actually enjoy it. Um, Darkest Secrets, my cousin once performed oral sex on me and a friend. Um, Sexual fantasies, most powerful, uh, me and two women rubbing their pussies against my penis. I feel disgusting sharing that with you. That's so funny that couldn't be further from disgusting. Um, I'd say that's like in the hall of fame of uh, sexual fantasies. What, if anything, do you wish for uh, my personal Hall of Fame? Uh, I wish for a better life, better job. I wish my wife lived closer and wasn't as old as she was and was thinner than she was. How do you, Have you shared these things with others? No, I haven't shared this with anyone because I don't know how to word it and I'm scared to. How do you feel after writing these things down? Scared. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts and experiences? Porn is not your friend. Porn is the enemy. Makoto, I want to really, really encourage you to go talk to somebody. You got a lot of stuff um, built up and it says that you're a recovering porn addict. Um, but it, it's kind of unclear whether or not you're still engaging in that. Um, so maybe you're talking in a support group, but it sounds like you got a lot of stuff trapped inside that you haven't shared with anybody yet and part of a support group working is opening up and, and sharing with the with those people. Um, but we're sending you a hug. Am I getting cheap with the hugs tonight? Getting a little cheap. Getting a little cheap. Um, awful some moment filled out by alien being 44. And that, and by the way, uh, Makoto, that didn't mean that you didn't deserve. Uh, Oh God, now I'm second guessing myself. Now I'm sick. Now I'm going to send me a hug. Ooh, how'd you like that? Hmm? A little twist on it. little little twist. Paul starts beating himself up and then sends himself to rescue himself. And the two of them come back and all three of us are disgusted. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Alien Being 44. Uh, When my daughter was born 15 years ago, I traveled in my country to introduce her to my mom, my sister, and my brother, and we spent a couple of months there. After a few days of being there, my mother, now deceased, told me, you are a good mother, I never expected you to be a good mother. Fuck do I love the The backhanded parent compliment. There is just nothing more purely awfulsome than that. This is kind of a heavy thing that I want to read. Um, and it's a it's a letter that I got about dealing with a parent uh, who has dementia. And this was submitted by uh, an email I got from Judy D'Angelo. And I just think it's so beautifully worded and doesn't shy away from what the experience is like and she writes nobody would say the word dementia to us i read it on a billing sheet at the doctor's office after taking her for the third time to talk about what could be wrong the sheet said the diagnosis was dementia probable alzheimer's type we saw a neurologist who also wouldn't say the word by this time she was 65 could no longer cook dress appropriately by herself or drive, and she was obsessed with money and buying shit from QVC. My life became non-stop taking care of her and working full-time. Thankfully, I had a job working from home already. How do I take care of someone? I'd never had kids. What do I do? She wouldn't sleep more than an hour or two at a time. I was exhausted, crying constantly, unable to concentrate at work exploding in anger at her. And one night I was laying in bed listening to her uh, wake up again and I thought, we'd be better off if we were dead. Recognizing that I had a dangerous thought, I called my brother the next day. He had only been minimally helpful this whole time. And I told him we had to find a home for her because I just couldn't go on like this. I made an appointment with my doctor. I'd already been seeing him for antidepressants. That's how she ended up at the nursing home. I felt so horrible. I cried every time I looked at the couch because she wasn't sitting there anymore. The second day she was there, I cried the whole way there. And when I walked into her room, she burst into tears and said, must be strong. At home, I would cry, feel guilty, and beat myself up for whatever I must be lacking that I couldn't take care of her. She was 67, so much younger than everyone else there. She adjusted, I adjusted. The facility was good and the staff was wonderful with her. Every time I thought I had made peace with the disease and what was in store for her, something would knock me right off my feet. I walked in one day to sit with her while she had lunch, and she wasn't in the dining room. The aide told me she's in the other room down the hall. They call it the feeder room, where the residents went for meals when they needed help to eat. I took a deep breath and walked down the hall. From the doorway, I saw my mother sitting by herself at a table, waiting for others to arrive, her face totally vacant. I felt the tears come, and I ran in the other direction to her room so I could get myself together. The next time it happened was the first time I saw my mother in a wheelchair because her brain couldn't tell her legs to walk anymore. She didn't even have any mobility with the wheelchair because she was unable to learn how to propel herself in it anyway. One morning, the hospice nurse called and told me she thought Mom had a heart attack. I went right up there and sat with her until it was time to work. The next day, she looked better and even ate a little after lunch. The day after that, the hospice nurse said she thought possibly another cardiac event had occurred. I went upstairs, and she was awake. I took her hand, and she squeezed mine. I started chattering to her while she napped off and on. My brother came to sit with her, and I went home to take care of the dogs. The next day, she was unconscious and on oxygen, and I grabbed her hand and talked to her again. But this time, I told her I loved her, thanked her for letting me take care of her, and that I hoped I did a good job. I told her how proud I was of her, and that we would all be okay if she needed to go. I kept re- replacing the cool washcloth on her head to feel like I was doing something. My brother came again to relieve me for a bit, and I left in the middle of the night to get some sleep. I was back first thing in the morning. Again, I spent the day talking about happier times in our lives, telling her I was going to miss her, and what a great mother she had been for us. At 2.55 p.m., the afternoon shift nurse came in and was shocked that mom was still here. She said to me, that oxygen is what's keeping her here. I stared at the oxygen machine for a minute. Then I looked at the nurse and said, I want to shut the oxygen off now. I walked over to the machine and shut it off. Everyone left so I could be alone with her. By this time, her mouth was hanging open. One eye was half closed and the other open. I knelt on the floor, kissed her forehead, and told her I wanted her to see Mommy and Daddy, so she could go if she saw them. As I said Mommy, she took one last breath, and she was gone. It was 3.06 p.m. She was 70 years old. Later, when I got into the car to make the last drive home from the nursing home, I said out loud to nobody in particular, I wasn't ready yet, and every tear I had not shed over the last four days rolled down my face. i hope I hope I didn't bum anybody out by reading that, but I just felt like that these these are the things that need to be talked about these are these are this is this is the shit that we shove down that we feel alone about, and um I don't know that was kind of beautiful too you know it was kind of uplifting as well because you know her mom went out surrounded by love and i think that's what we i think that's what we all want i'm just sorry that she had to experience that that pain but i would imagine when she looks back on that um yeah there's pain but there's got to be also a tremendous feeling of self esteem that she put in so much effort and um honestly i'm afraid when my mom dies that i'm going to be filled with regret and self hatred and it's going to haunt me uh and until the day i die and so i'm um, reading that I I got I got feelings of like not jealousy but yeah envy that I don't know I brought up a lot of shit maybe that's why I wanted to read it this was filled out on the vacation arguments survey but it really is probably a better awful moment this is filled out by Eddie um And he writes, when my boyfriend and I had started fighting uh, out loud while taking a midnight stroll while on vacation in Banff, no one was around, so I wasn't too embarrassed to argue, and my boyfriend uh, shared those feelings. Just when I thought my vacation was ruined, we both hear shouting from the hotel across the street. The word faggot was heard a few times, followed by laughter. So my boyfriend and I look at one another and burst out laughing forgetting why we were arguing, and just sharing a laugh at drunk ignorance. That is pretty fucking awfulsome. Um This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Ides S L I-D-E-S-L-A-R-I-M-E. Uh, I don't know why that's so hard for me to uh, pronounce. She is straight, in her 30s, raised in a stable... Uh, and safe environment. She writes, safely dysfunctional. Uh, Never been sexually, physically, or emotionally abused. Um, Darkest thoughts. I'm better than everyone else. I'm always right, even when I fuck up. Um, I'm still right. If people disagree with me, they're idiots. Darkest secrets. I was an escort for four years, starting when I was 23. I worked for a successful, well-run escort agency. I had sex with about 15 guys a week, and then I'd take three weeks off. This meant I, quote, worked 15 hours per month and earned about $4,200, plus lots of great gifts, fancy dinners, clothing, trips, jewelry, etc. It was ridiculously lucrative, glamorous, exciting, and lavish, at least to me. And it just so happened that I lucked out and never ended up with any STDs, abused, harmed or worse. In fact, I still have fond memories of some of my clients and experiences. I quit because I got burnt out, just like you would with any job. Sex became tedious, and I became annoyed with men. Today, I have an amazing fiancé. We've been together for nine years He does not know about my escorting past. Every now and then, when I'm reminiscing, I find that I miss it, especially the money and the lifestyle it provided. No one would guess, even in their wildest dreams, that I used to live like that. I'm strangely proud of it and wish I could brag about it, but I know that many people find that kind of thing to be distasteful, to say the least. I remain good friends with one of my former fellow escorts. When she and I hang out, we have a great time talking about the good old days. I'm not ashamed. I'm glad I never told my fiancé. He would have left me, without a doubt. I've made the decision never to go back. It remains my own little wacky secret. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Super dominant, slightly sadistic men. The sexual aspect of rape, which is not to say I enjoy any of the other aspects of rape. I think this is because I am assertive and responsible all day, and the idea of giving over all power to a man is enticing. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I have the damnedest time telling my brother I love him. He's awesome. He's awesome. I really admire and love him, but we just never said, I love you, in all our years growing up, and it feels so foreign to say it. I'm working on it, though. I've squeezed the word out a few times, even though it feels like the most strange and awkward thing ever. What, if anything, do you wish for? Money. I'm buried in student loans. You'd think I would have saved some of that goddamn escorting money. Shit. Have you shared these things with others? Shared bits and pieces here and there without significant consequence. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? No different. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Get ready for the most hypocritical comment ever. Don't become an escort, prostitute, hooker, call, call girl. Back then, I would have said, do it, it's awesome. But after a few additional years of experience and knowledge, I realized that it is an extremely dangerous profession and it is unwise to assume assume that you are exempt from the dangers no matter how, quote, high class you are or where you live or how intelligent or tough you are. I made that money, an awesome amount of money, and I spent the hell out of it and enjoyed my purchases. But today, if someone said I could make a million dollars if I went back and worked for one more week, I would absolutely not do it. I fucked out, <laughs> I lucked out. You can you can certainly excuse that uh, that Freudian slip. I lucked out and won the lottery uh, for a long time. I'm not going to tempt fate like that. Um, thank you, thank you so much for that. That um, I love these these peaks into people's inner lives and their pasts and the stuff that they they hold close. I'm a vampire. That's basically what I am. And finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Melody N.C. And she writes, I had the feeling I had read this one. If I did already, go fuck yourselves. She writes, uh, I met my sister-in-law for coffee last week. A few years ago, uh, nothing having to do with my sister-in-law would have been considered a happy moment. Ever since I first met her, my sister-in-law has always sort of rubbed me the wrong way. She's a very opinionated person pretty sarcastic and not very open. She did something that really hurt my feelings concerning my first child. Her rude behavior felt like a smack in the face and I just shut down and I avoided her at family gatherings and barely spoke to her for a number of years. We ended up moving to another state and I had no contact with her for three years. We eventually moved back to our original state. By that point in time... Um, By that point, time had mellowed my hurt feelings enough that I could put it all aside and resume a normal relationship with her once again. Back to present day. I met her for coffee last week. As we chatted, the subject came up of me beginning a weight loss program soon and how in order to be approved for insurance, I had to have two medical conditions. Um, in order to be approved for insurance, I had to have two medical conditions, one being high cholesterol, the other being depression. Um, Oh, I see. As soon as I mentioned that uh, I had been suffering from depression, my sister-in-law began to tear up and she chimed in with, what mother doesn't suffer from depression? Keep in mind that I have never seen this woman cry or even get remotely emotional about anything. I was so touched. She continued to tell me that I can call on her anytime to help out with my kids, that she is there to help me in any way she can. I was blown away. It was a really awesome moment to realize how much things had changed with her for the better. Well, what a sweet moment to end on. Thank you guys for being a part of this thing. Um, Thank you for all your support. Thank you to uh, all of my awesome guests like Andrea, all you guys that submit these great emails and surveys. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, I I hope you know that uh, you're most definitely not alone. And uh, thank you for listening.